everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Pro Series Podcast. This is episode 57, and I have another guest from Australia. Her name is Donna Geiler from Donna Geiler Designs. She owns a company in Queensland, Australia. We talk about her company, how she started out, and all about design. So, But before we step into this episode, please make sure you like, subscribe, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to this podcast. And now I hope you enjoy episode 57 with Donna Geiler. Thank you so much, Donna, for joining me today on the Pro Series podcast. So excited to talk to you. Thank you, Eric, for having me. I always like to start out each episode kind of like how we've met or you found me or I found you type of deal. And this one came from Adrian Ramsey, our, our friend over also in Australia. Um, are you guys somewhat close to each other or? We're, well, we're probably about two and a half hours drive from each other, okay. which, you know, in Australia is just down the road, really, <laughs> <laughs> for us. We're a very big country and, you know, we, we like to drive everywhere. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's great that he's connected us, uh, you know, a, a, across countries. Yeah, across oh, the yeah. world. It's mm. such a small, it's like, it, obviously it's a big world, but it's such a small world how we meet and like how, who people we know and sh- stuff just on social media and also in person. I know it's so great and and to be honest it it's it's fascinating it it still fascinates me how quickly uh, you know this this form of just global connection came about for mm-hmm. us I think you know you and I were just talking off air about how much COVID has changed the way that we we do business and and the way that we connect and social media you know I guess um you know for all its negatives really has opened up the globe to you know this connection without any sort of boundaries um you know it it's 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 great it, it's fascinating it's really great for networking it's great mm-hmm. for building relationships and um you know for learning and and you know professional development and education and it's it's really a, a, a great thing it's quite fascinating oh, yeah. how it all unfolded for us i completely agree because if it wasn't for zoom or you know, any form of social media, we wouldn't be speaking right now. That's, it's just crazy how we could just um, send out an invite and kind of just hop on a call and schedule around our time differences because it's morning there, right? It is. Yes, it is. And and the fact that we can see each other as well, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm so fascinated to learn about your background and how you kind of got into the design community. And um, let's start out in the very, very beginning. Was that something you, growing up, wanted to pursue? I've always been a creative, no question there. I haven't always been a designer. I, uh, straight out of school, I, uh, I went traveling. Well, actually, no, that's not correct. I, I did get a job in a law firm straight out of because I wanted to go traveling so I worked for a couple of years as an office junior in a local law firm on the Gold Coast and I saved to be able to head off overseas so that's what I did I went to the UK and lived there for a few years I continued to work in um, you know um, very large-scale law firms over there 
and was just working and and trekking around. Um, but you know, I, I've I've always been a creative. I knew that what I was doing uh, for work and in my pro professional career was definitely a temporary option. It wasn't fulfilling. There was something there. Mm. Um, but you know what? I carried on the corporate circuit. So I lived overseas for a few years. I came home. I moved to Sydney. Lived in Sydney for a few years. Continued on the corporate circuit. And then I was in my 30s, my early 30s, and I thought it's time to do something about this. So, yeah, I um, I decided to study to get my qualification. And, uh, yeah, that took me about four years to get my qualification. So, uh, and then, yeah, when I graduated, I landed some work experience with a cabinet maker here on the Gold Coast. And um, I, I just, I, you know, I, I took, grabbed that by the horns. I had no idea what was involved or whether or not that was really what I wanted to do, but it, it was a position that became available in the design and drawing room of this large cabinet making factory on the Gold Coast. So I took that and gosh, you know, the, the rest is, is history. I, you know, I was doing some work experience with them. Uh, they offered me a job at the end of my work experience term. So I continued with them for a bit and I contracted to other interior designers and, you know, I tried, I tried, I guess, uh, different areas of specialization within interior design because it, it encompasses a, a lot, you know, yeah. there's the design and construction side of interior design. And then of course there's the the decorative and styling side of interior design. So I really worked with other designers, contracted to other designers and got some experience across all fields. Uh, and until I decided, um, you know, where, where I wanted to be, which was sort of firmly in that design and construct, which, which is funnily enough, where exactly where I started with the cabinet making factory. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I actually ended up back with another cabinet making factory. And by this time I was their lead interior designer because this was about maybe four or five years into my professional career. So I'd had much more experience and I was their lead interior designer for their residential division. And uh, after working with them for about 15 months, they decided they were going to close out their residential division and just focus on commercial product. So I essentially would have lost my job. I resigned. I contacted the clients that I was working for at the time and said, look, this is what's happening. I'm leaving. They said, well, Donna, we want to come with you. And I had a business. That's how wow. it started. <laughs> it all happened for a reason. That's crazy how it happened that way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I often look, I look back and I know personally for me I I'm I'm not a dive in head first kind of person you know I'm not risk adverse but I'm much more methodical and analytical in my approach to things so my husband was saying to me you know for some time before I started to launch my studio you know what you need to be doing this yourself because at the moment you're you know beating to everybody else's drum and you know you're working to the standards set by by others and you know there's 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 more there's more to this for you I know that you know you you, you need to be doing this on your own but yeah. I really needed that push you know I needed that like as you say it just unfolded as it should you know I would have lost my job so I yeah. decided to resign and make those phone calls and then you know those clients were saying to me well, well we want to come with you Donna so I I just needed to 
get resourceful and and set myself up and you know get a desk at home and and you know get a laptop and get get going so um because i i I wouldn't i don't think i would have initiated that you know of of my own accord otherwise (laughs) oh yeah if that never happened so if the res if that residential division of that company um was still alive and thriving do you still think Mm. you'd be in there oh do you know what Probably not, Eric. No, okay. I think because over time, you know, you, I guess you do, you, you gain more experience, you gain more confidence, you're, you're more exposed to, you know, different parts of the industry and, and you know, you make connections, as we were saying. And and I'm sure that at some point I would have taken, taken the leap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because particularly now, you know, I know that, you know, as challenging as, as being a business for yourself can be, mm-hmm. it is, you know, it was absolutely the right move for me. And, you know, the truth is I'm completely unemployable now. <laughs> I couldn't that's work for true. anyone now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Did you, did, did you have an, any business background before that? No. So did you struggle no, starting I up? Didn't. I did. Absolutely. I'm not going to lie. You know, they don't teach you at uni how to run a business. You know, they teach you how, how to design, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's a a small focus around, you know, setup and, and, you know, sort of getting yourself set up, but certainly no, they they don't teach you how, how to run a business. And I mean, having said that, you know, I had worked on the corporate set sector for about 15 years so I did come into my design career with some pretty solid foundations and some pretty great uh, exposure and experience in terms of you know I guess just setting up my business you know framework um, you know sort of template documentation systemizing the the business and um, you know I'm, I'm speaking about this with confidence now but you know certainly when I started it's you know it's very different too when you when you're working for somebody else and you can see that things are you know running very smoothly and you'd also see where things aren't working and as part of a team you can work together you know to perhaps rectify those things or really capitalize on those things that are working it's very different when it's just you you know, on your own in a completely different industry, a completely different career, you know, applying those principles that you've learned from, you know, huge firms, established law firms into your little interior design studio where, Mm -hmm. you know, now I'm on the job site, you know, I'm out of the boardroom and now I'm on the job site. So it's, it's a completely different industry. Now I'm dealing with trades, whereas previously I was dealing with lawyers and engineers. I mean, that in itself took a huge adjustment. So, Yes, it, it, it was very challenging. I, I definitely had to find find my way. And, and you know, I, I'm still finding my way, right? We, we, yeah. <laughs> we, we just need to Always continue to, to learn. Mm. Yeah. How did you, when you first started your company, obviously when you went, you were with the cabinet maker, you had the cabinet line to work off of. How did you find manufacturers and get in contact with manufacturers for, so you could fulfill every customer's needs from a kitchen or a bath or whatever you do in the home, how do you find those manufacturers and get in contact with them? Mm, mm. It's a good question because it is, you know, you do need to be incredibly resourceful and it's really just making connections, you know, going to the right events, going, you know, just connecting with, with the right, the right people. Mm -hmm. So I guess, 
For us as, as a design studio, we are designing homes. Everything we do is conceptual. So we are, uh, you know, we're designing kitchens, we're designing whole homes and we're producing conceptual drawings for those homes. So, you know, technically our drawings are not to be used for construction purposes, but we are all qualified designers and architects in my studio. So everything we draw is to scale, it's detailed, it's notated, um, you know, the, the the cabinet makers and the trades can certainly work from our drawings to produce their own shop drawings. So everything we do is conceptual, but what makes us better designers is understanding the manufacturing process. So, you know, that the, the time that I spent working in the cabinet making factory taught me how, how to build a cabinet how a cabinet is made, how it's put together, what happens if you get it to site and it doesn't fit, how do, how do things, how, how are things modified, what's possible, what's not possible. So I started to understand the construction process and the manufacture of things. So, which can also be applied to, you know, building works. And then, you know, over time, obviously on, you know, on-site experience, you know, teaches us how, how things are made and how things are oh, built yeah. as well. And so that you know, even though we don't necessarily coordinate the manufacturing process to a certain extent, we do get heavily involved in the process. We don't necessarily coordinate it. We need to understand how things are built and how things are made and how things are put together. So that makes us better designers and, and it makes us able to really push those those design boundaries uh, because we know what's what's possible and, and what's not, although we never consider what's not possible. We're always looking at what's possible. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that because that's something that a lot of people don't think of. Um, I mean, over here in the United States, HGTV is a huge thing, which is a mm. TV network that has all these home renovation shows. And yes. people think designers are really just doing the aesthetic part of the design when in reality, yeah, there are some designers out there that do that. Um, and those ones are probably not successful because they don't know the makings of the design work, especially with kitchens. People think you just throw a bunch of cabinetry in a room and it's going to make the kitchen. You need to know everything from all the type of moldings that they have. Um, you know, if you look into a cabinet book, um, spec book, like, you know, like there's endless amount of pages of just moldings that you need for different situations so if you don't know that stuff you're putting your customer in a disservice and it might cost you not just a customer but the design might not be perfect and I, I bet you any money you've probably seen pictures of other people's work and you zoom in and you're like eh, I, I think you're missing this right here <laughs> yes yes we have we have but you know i mean d design design is about form and and function right as just as much as it is aesthetic aesthetics i mean really for us form and function is is the most important thing you know as designers that's where we add value so yes we can make we can design beautiful kitchens that look lovely but you know you know before we get to that point it is it's about um the design of that kitchen it's about you know what what needs to go into that kitchen how that kitchen's going to be used how it's how it needs to be put to work how it's really going to work for that family and you know and and even more so it's you know obviously it's standard sizes and you know standard cabinetry depth standard bench top height standard thicknesses hardware 
you know, there's there's so much that 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 goes into it. Um, that, yeah. that I guess you know that that is really the, the core of of design and in, and interior design. And you know, having said that, you know, obviously, yes, there are lots of decorators and stylists, and I think there there is a place for for that discipline. Absolutely. That there is. I think it's maybe the lines get just get a little bit blurred from time to time. Yeah, I think it's a f- they're two different fields, but they they overlap in many ways. And it kind of gets confusing that overlap where people think they kind of put both of them together. Um, and it's also kind of like that way with architecture and interior design. They overlap in less minimum ways than a decorator and a, stock, and a designer, but it kind of gets confusing on where some people's um, work lies if you're not in the field to know what each profession does. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know how it operates in the states. I'd be interested to to understand. But so here in Australia, there is um, there is a governing association for, or a governing body for architects. Yeah. So it's an established and recognised profession. Mm-hmm. There is no governing body for interior design. So the result of that is there are many people working within our industry that can refer to themselves as interior designers without, you know, any sort of necessary qualification. Yep. So that can happen, obviously, within the the um, the uh, architects um, industry because mm-hmm. it's regulated. So that that doesn't happen for us. Is it the same yeah. in, in the US? It is the same, um, okay. which is sad. It's also mm-hmm. like, you know, there's people that could just, they, they think that, you know, they're Architectural Digest fans or HGTV fans and think they could just slap interior designer on a business card <laughs> and call it a day. Um, but yeah, that's something that they've struggled with. Um, in some states in the United States, you cannot call yourself a designer unless you have your NCIDQ. Um, but some states, that's not the case. And I know there is, it's a bill that's trying to be passed by interior designers through our government. And maybe one day that will happen, hopefully, because it will kind of unblur that line that that's going to be there. Um, but also it, it runs into situations where there are different, organizations that you have like the ASID and NKBA and other testings that you could have um, that puts you into another category of you know a certified Mm -hmm. kitchen designer or so it it gives you an out an outlook from other people that you are qualified in different areas and not just interior design because it kind of saying you're an interior designer has been kind of watered down from just the way our society shows it Yes, I, I agree. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the industry feels the benefits of that because there are people like, you know, myself who is, you know, I'm a qualified interior designer. All of my team are, are you know, highly qualified, highly skilled. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're running a professional practice within this industry. And, 
obviously we're advocating the engagement of a design team in order to really maximize value for your project, whatever that that means. And then I guess, you know, you're right. It's, we, we have, um, we have similar TV shows and things here in Australia, like you guys have on HGTV, certainly not to the extent that you have, but we have the same. And those shows, I guess, are sending, you know, an opposing message, which is, ah, you know, you can, you can, you know, knock this, knock this out yourself. So I guess, you know, one of the, the biggest impacts that has on industry is our fee structure and, um, you know, the ability to really, I guess, charge what, what, what we're worth, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, for us, obviously we're an established studio. Now we have, you know, a firm fee structure, but we have the benefit now of being established, but for young designers that, that are starting out, I imagine, you know, it's incredibly challenging to, I guess, sell your worth when we're living in a society where, you know, we're, I guess we're being told by these TV channels and things, which are great for inspiration. They're really great for oh, inspiration yeah, absolutely. for ideas, but they're doing our industry an injustice in, mm-hmm. in a sense because, you know, they're perhaps devaluing, you know, um, the profession of interior design. Oh, yeah. And I fall fault some of that too because, you know, I watch some of those shows. Um, you know, there's a handful of them that are actually like truly produced well, and the designers are really good on the shows. Um, they've gone to school for design, and it's fun to watch those ones. But it, it, they are missing a lot of the actual industry, which is sad. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's great inspiration for some of our clients. I'm, I'm sure you have clients that come into your um, office saying, "I saw this on TV. I want this." Which is better than them not knowing what they want to which we respond eric no you cannot have your kitchen in seven days which is yeah. what happens here on, <laughs> on australian yeah. tv looking yeah. at kitchens in seven days and it's just you know it's yeah it creates unrealistic expectations i think in terms of yeah you know the the, the doability of the project on your own but also you know time frames and and budget and you know it, it then th- those tv shows are not really i think high, highlighting um yeah. the yeah the realistic values of those things you know during the over the course of the project oh yeah it i mean i've had quite a few designers from shows on the podcast and they've always told me like there's a lot more than you're not seeing mm. it's a TV show. They can't show everything, obviously. And they, they have teams of people that are doing this stuff. You're not having a 40 man team working on your kitchen at a time. Like companies don't have that infrastructure to get it all done within a week, um, right. which is a big thing. And also pricing. Um, when you go, say you just start out, how did you figure out how much you were worth? for a fee or do you do like per hour or do you do like a lump sum at the end? Like, how do you figure that out? Yeah, it's a great question because it's so important. And I feel like, I'm not sure what it's like over there in the U S but here in Australia, it's even a little bit taboo. Like we, we, as designers, we don't really discuss with each other what, what we charge. And and I understand why, Mm -hmm because obviously there's that element of, of competition. But I think if we can look past that for, for a moment, yeah. you know, having that an open discussion about what we charge and what we should be charging and what we can be charging, 
is actually gonna gonna drive change in, in the industry and and help help us, you know, particularly younger designers to be charging what what they're worth. So oh, yeah. I think when I started, Eric, I was charging 40 bucks an hour or something like that. Okay. And I, I made a call to to one of my lecturers and said to her, um, okay, you know, like I've I've left left the cabinet making factory. I you know, I'm I'm out on my own. So um you know, all I had to go by was the the fee structure that, you know, we used to issue at the cabinet making factory, but really it, that was a flat fee for, you know, the entire project. So if it was a kitchen and an entertainment unit and three bathrooms and whatever it was, you know, there was obviously the cost of the manufacturer and then the design fee and then the installation it was all wrapped up in, in a flat fee. So that didn't really help me to establish how I could charge, you know, purely for my design services. So I did. I rang one of my lecturers and and said, "What do you think I should be charging?" And she said to me, "You know, forty bucks an hour, or fifty bucks an hour, or something, something like that." Yeah. So that's where I started, and uh, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that you know I worked for free for for that first year. I, I mean, I'm sure I paid clients the privilege of working with me for that first year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I certainly didn't make any money. But you know, it, it, you ha you have to go through through that as well to. Um, you know, to, just to work it out. And to be honest, over time, I have floated constantly between hourly rate, flat fee, mm -hmm. uh, you know, percentage. We, we've, I've tried a, a lot of different things because you, you have to, you have to, you have to work out what, what's right for you and and my studio has experienced significant growth so that drives change in in your fee structure as, as well so mm -hmm. i mean now we work um we work uh mostly on a flat fee certainly that's our preferred fee structure is a flat fee uh certainly when we're taking on medium to large scale renovation projects which is the projects we love that's that's really the the projects that that we look look to secure Mm -hmm. So medium to large scale uh, renovation projects, we always quote a, a flat fee, we work on a flat fee that's attached to a nice firm scope of works. We do, we only offer an hourly rate when we can't establish a, a firm scope of works. So, you know, it might be sort of ad hoc tasks along the way, or if we've got a firm scope of works and a flat fee for this particular project, but now we're throwing in a little something else, we'll say, right, we'll just, we'll work through that part of the project with you, mm -hmm. you know, on an hourly rate. So we, we, we always, we prefer to work on a flat fee. Uh, we, yeah. We'll only charge an hourly rate if, um, if, yeah, if we can't establish a scope of works, because for me, I don't know, I, I sort of very quickly established that, I don't know, I don't, I just don't feel like you make a whole lot of money charging by the hour. I just don't you feel know, like it, it was a profitable business model for, for me. Yeah. In another way, I, I was the same way when I, when I first did my first um, independent job, I, I asked a designer friend and one thing they told me was, do hourly like you said hourly until you know the good scope work because people will use you for your time and your time is worth um something and you can't be um, working for free forever so like having that hourly thing is a good um crutch for your until you actually get the job because it it will put a it will put a fire under the customer to actually make decisions and figure out what they want in the job that's right. And, and, you know, I think what, 
what inevitably happens for us as designers is you don't charge for all your time, right? You don't charge for all your time. If you're charging by the hour, you're either doing, you know, a bazillion things at once. So you've forgotten to, you know, put that hour to that project or that hour to that project, or, you you know, it comes to billing day and, you know, you, you, you populate the invoice and you go, oh my God, it's so many hours. How am I ever going to get that across the line? You know, and so we, we end up shaving hours off and then we, you know, then we tell ourselves, okay, we're going to shave some hours off here. Then we're going to pick it up over here on the next invoice or, you know, and that never happens. So yeah. it's, it, it, it just, for me, it just felt like a, a constant juggle. And I, and I, I, I felt like I, I was definitely not not charging for, for all of my time so I was leaving money on the table I was losing money and and you know I was also I, I was I guess I was um I was uh, um, allowing my clients to value my work based on the time that it took instead mm-hmm. of the value that we're actually adding to the project and and creating for them at, at the end of the project you know it was all coming down to this hourly charge and you know it took it don't know how many hours to do that or yeah. you know that that now that the focus is on you know how many hours it was taking to do things instead of you know this incredible value that we were adding to the project project far beyond the time that, that it was taking so that for me that I quickly switched out of that that hourly rate structure yeah. uh, it felt like um uh, it was just it was just a heavy burden yeah and that's a good point because you will have those customers that like try to bust your balls and try to like wonder why you had that many hours on something they're like well in my job I've, I was there for eight hours today and got way more done than just one kitchen job when they don't know what's all involved so it's kind of hard to explain to someone that it involved 50 hours and you know some people want to break down on what you all did in those 50 hours but it's it's impossible to do that it is and you know that that's an icky conversation to to have really isn't Mm -hmm. it you know when you feel like you need to justify what you're charging to the client you know it's probably a very uncomfortable conversation for the client to you know be drilling down and and you know pulling apart your your invoice like that is just like for me that's not a conversation I want to have anymore I have had those conversations it doesn't feel good it doesn't end well it's not a I was realizing for me it was not a relationship that was built on trust and built on value it was a relationship Mm -hmm. that was reduced down to you know being valued by the number of hours that we were putting into this this gig like it for me it it just I don't know it just doesn't make sense but you know it's interesting like I I follow a lot of US-based designers I'm incredibly inspired by a lot of US-based designers and I I get the feeling that the prominent fee structure over there is an hourly charge yeah, I mean, predominantly in the beginning, yeah, I would say so yeah. too. Most people I hear is hourly. Um, it, I mean, it's hard and also all comes down to like your manufacturer relationships because like if you have a cabinet line that you sell a lot of, you're going to be able to put percentages to it and sell it because a lot of times in the beginning, you have these new relationships with manufacturers and you don't, you can't even afford to mark it up because the customer is going to know well, I can get that exact thing somewhere else for yeah. a lot lower price. So, I mean, I think in the beginning, definitely hourly is 
the go-to thing here in the U.S., mm. which mm. is sad because it's hard to grow off of that. It is. It it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm very intrigued by by that model. I guess the 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 positive I think of you know running your whole practice on an hourly rate is I guess you can plan more effectively because mm-hmm. if you know you've got yourself and three designers on your team and your charge out rate is X and their charge out rate is X and they're working, you know, 30 hours a week for you times three, mm-hmm. there's three of them and you're putting in 40 hours a week at this rate, I guess on a monthly basis, you know, at the end of the month, you are really X every month, you know? So um, I guess it's, it's great in that, that sense. So that's certainly not like, I can't plan that way because we don't charge hourly. We, we charge a flat, a flat fee predominantly. So I, I project and forecast out our, you know, our, our potential earnings based on the number of projects that we're running and what's coming up in, in the schedule. So I guess it's not as consistent because uh, we have terms. Our terms are 10%, 40%, 40%, 10% at, at you know, critical times throughout the, the project. So okay. I have to forecast that way. But I guess if you're charging by the hour, you've got a nice steady monthly flow of income coming into the studio, which, yeah. as you say, doesn't make sense in in you know probably in in the earlier days when you're starting up you need to build up some cash flow so that you're you know you're able to reinvest back into your business however that looks like for you whether it's a new website or you know new branding collateral or it's another team member I guess it is a good way to have a steady income and and plan Mm -hmm. for those for those things oh Um, absolutely and Mm -hmm. I think as we were talking about this it also kind of again, kind of waters down what interior design does when you put a flat fee per hour, it kind of gives you like that minimum wage type of feel Mm -hmm. that like, you know, they're working at a store or something like that, that you do in high school or something. So it kind of, kind of waters down our profession and what we went through to become an interior designer. Um, So altogether, the more we talking about it kind of wants to talk to me out of it. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, like for me, it's just a no, it's a no brainer. You know, yeah. we, we, in fact, we're, we're, so we're undergoing a huge project at the moment to revamp our website. So it's an enormous project. So uh, it's taking four months, uh, you know, it's been many months sort of, you know, in the conceptual stage. And now it's taking about four months to, to roll it out. It's a huge project. And, and part of that is, really defining our our services now services are full service interior design full home furnishing studio sessions which is a new uh uh service that we've introduced in the studio this year which is just a two-hour intensive uh, consultation uh and then our last service is you know interior design consultation which is you know where we're charging by by the hour but we, we're, we're pushing that way, way down the list, you know, in terms of, um, you know, priorities, in terms of, you know, marketing, or well, it certainly doesn't form part of our marketing campaign. It's just mm-hmm. there for us because we need to have it as an option if the scope varies, as we spoke about, or if it's a, a smaller project where we can't determine that the scope of works. But, you know, for us, it's really about driving forward that full service interior design with a flat fee, full home furnished with a flat with a flat fee because yeah. for me it's just a it's a it's a stronger business model it's a much more profitable business model because now you're able to price 
on value, not oh, yeah. not time. You're not just trading time for money. You know, you you you've moved the conversation. You've moved the conversation way out of you know how many hours it's going to take. It's like right, like what do you? want what do you want from this from this home yes we can do that yes we can deliver that and we're going to do this 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 and this you go great you go excellent here's the price great done fantastic let's get to work there's not those icky conversations about how many hours it's going to take and you know justifying that time yeah. you know it's just a it's just a, a, a stronger yeah definitely more profitable business model for, for us anyway, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, it's funny how you said that you're working on revamping your website because I'm here looking at it and it's like one of the nicest websites I've seen. <laughs> Ooh, wait to see the new one, Eric. <laughs> it's going to be better. So one thing that stands out, um, and you, everybody being interior design or whatever profession they're in, that you want to stand out so your customers see you. And one thing I think you do before, that no one else does is like these little like you have your own tv show on here called webisodes what was what was why'd you start that was that something you've always wanted to do like be on tv or is this just kind of something you wanted to explain your uh process well you know if netflix called me i wouldn't say no <laughs> to be honest <laughs> plant that seed now <laughs> that's right Netflix if you are watching um no I think it, it was really driven by uh how, how many uh, uh requests I was getting and and I, I guess just the interaction that uh, I was getting from my social media account so uh, we actually run our social media account in-house we don't in uh, outsource it I've run it myself for the whole time I've run my studio and so, you know, obviously it's very interactive. We get a lot of comments and, and I um, read everything and I respond to everyone. And there was just, yeah, I was just getting the, these questions about, you know, what happens behind the scenes. And, and I think also, you know, we're flooded with beautiful imagery. We're flooded with the end product, you know, we're almost desensitized to that now, right? Like if there's mm -hmm. so much inspiration for us everywhere across so many different platforms. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think also going back to what we were talking earlier about, um, Eric, and really, you know, the crux of interior design and, you know, what what really is interior design, I thought, you know what, I can, sh I can show people that. I can show people what interior design is and I can talk about, you know, how we actually developed the concept for this project and how we were on site during the project with the trades, directing the trades, working with the trades and, and you know, the interior design is very, it's very meaty behind the scenes to get to those beautiful images. And, you know, when I did the first series, like it just, oh, it went gangbusters. You know, people, people loved it. So, um, because I, you know, people want to see behind the scenes, right. Yeah. And they want to, they want to see you and they want to get to know you and they want to see you in action and they want to see where things go wrong as well yeah. because not everything's perfect like oh my gosh things go wrong in here all the time um but you know how we go about fixing those things and so yeah they, they've been really well received and um i definitely need to do more of them that they're very time consuming to to put yeah, them together probably. yeah but so so worth it uh yeah. so yes i will be making more yeah yeah sure. I, I think it's a good way to connect with other designers too because yeah, people like the pretty pictures and stuff that aren't in the industry. And, you know, us in the industry too like the pretty pictures too. But it's also 
you're talking about like all the behind the scenes stuff, everything that we're doing on a day-to-day basis. It's kind of fun to relate to someone else and also relate to someone else in a different country. Like me looking at what you're doing. It's like, we, I see a lot of similarities and it's kind of, or stuff that you do different. And that's kind of interesting. And it kind of changes your outlook on the profession as a whole and not in your bubble of the area that you live in. Yeah, I agree. I, I love that too. I I love watching the way that, that you guys do things over there, the way you execute the workmanship. I love to watch how the designers interact with trades over there, you know, just purely by comparison. I find it incredibly interesting as, as well. So yeah, yeah I, I agree. It's not just for the, you know, the general public that are looking for inspiration for their renovation project or they're considering engaging a designer so they want to know what it's all about. I agree. It's also yeah. very beneficial for, for us as professionals as well. Maybe also just to, you know, because sometimes you can look at, you know, other professionals that are very successful at what they do. And maybe, you know, there's a bit of comparisonitis that can kick in or something like that. But so it is good, I guess, that those, those websites, webisodes also, we try to keep them very real, very yeah. real, you know, and, you know, things don't always go go to plan and things don't always turn up when you want them to and you know Absolutely. sometimes walls go in the wrong place or the wrong grout color goes on the tiles or you know the wrong carpet goes down it's like those things those things happen and I guess it is refre- refreshing and and reassuring I guess when one professional to the other to see that you know the same they're tackling the same issues that <laughs> that you are you know yeah just challenges that are uh um you know very very real and present in in our business (laughs) yeah well lastly i want to end with you mentioned something about you do all in-house um you keep your social media in-house and that's Mm -hmm. a lot of um when i started the pro series i asked for different topics that people um put into and a lot of it was like how do you run the social media part or um should i hire someone to do social media And I've always been against hiring an outside firm to do social media for, um, well, not always, but that person running the social media account needs to know the profession because it loses translation very easily. Um, Even from taking the picture, um, there was a firm here in Pittsburgh that um, they would take, they would have someone outside um, do it. Um, has no idea about interior design and they would take these pictures and they wouldn't turn on any of the lights on in the pictures or something would be out of place and you're like you know for a fact an interior designer did not was not part of that planning process with the social media platform so what was your reasoning on it was that the reasoning why you try to keep it in-house or was there another reason for that so to, to begin with, and actually, I, I do want to mention just one thing here. Since I yeah. started my studio, I invested in professional photography right from the start. And okay. I remember when I had, you know, zero dollars in the bank and zero cash flow, but I had to, you know, I had to scramble together, you know, 500 bucks or 600 bucks for the photographer, which I absolutely did. So right from when I very start started my my studio, I have invested in professional photography. 
Smart. And so that really set lays the foundation, I guess, for social media and our website and and everything else. So even when we were just you know little and it was just me and the, my IKEA desk and my laptop, our professional imagery created a different perception. So you know even though I was struggling to pay for that imagery, it it started to create a different perception. So. Um, I, that is something that I would highly recommend for all designers starting out. Just make that work. Don't take photos on your iPhone. Have every project shot professionally. Oh, yeah. So I, I started to build this beautiful bank of, of content. And, um, I yeah, so really, I obviously, I couldn't afford to outsource initially. So I just started to roll out social media myself. Instagram was a very different space then when I started. It was actually, you know, it was, I'm not going to say it was easy, but it was a, it was a much um, faster burn than yeah. it is now to, to mm-hmm. grow your, your account. So we've, you know, we've got a nice following, but it's taken us a very long time to, to establish that. So yeah, I kind of just got momentum with it, Eric, really. I just wanted to keep it real as I always do and just speak from the heart and be myself, keep it very lighthearted. Uh, I did get to a point a few years ago where it was becoming a bit of a beast. I outsourced it and it didn't work. I pulled it back. So because the tone of voice changed, it didn't feel authentic to us. It didn't feel real. It felt a little manufactured. So I I pulled it back. We we are actually now considering uh, potentially outsourcing it again, just because I guess we are a little more firmly established. We could probably provide a more defined brief um, for a social media, uh, you know, manager to be able to manage our account moving forward and purely based on time now, because we've got so many other initiatives and so many other things going on, but uh, it it didn't, it didn't work for me at at one point either. So um, we, we pulled it back. I think it's very important to have consistency across you know, your social media and your website and, you know, your branding as a whole. So for now we control all of that to make sure yeah. it aligns. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you deserve it too. Cause I mean, you started from nothing in the business and now you grew it to what you grew it to and you deserve to keep that and keep that tone of voice. And I mean, it's definitely workable if you outsource it to someone that you have a lot of meetings with they have to research the page and all that stuff. So it's definitely workable. And I think as a company grows, there's no way you could be in control of everything. If you be in control of everything, you're going to lose out on something that could be the quality of the design work or the time you could have been with a client or something you're going to lack on something and it, you need to weigh out your priorities. And if social media is one of those, that's totally fine if you could put more time into your design work and getting better designs for your customer. That's right. It makes more sense, you know, that we as designers are designing and not, you know, putting up Instagram posts. Yeah. If, you know, that 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 makes makes no sense. I think what what's good also though, what's what what has also been a great change and and um, you know, great for us to be able to to connect globally is there's there's sort of industry specific services available now. There's like there's a lot available, particularly in the US. I know specific to in the interior design industry. You know, set set your studio up and templates and social media oh. management specific to interior design. Yeah. So which I think is is great. And there's no reason why you couldn't. I've actually worked with consultants based in the US. There's no reason why we can't work across, you know, across countries. Oh, yeah. yeah you almost I feel think. like 
just like I said in the beginning of the episode, you kind of get out of your bubble. And then at me watching your web webisodes, I'm seeing all these familiar things. And it's so weird because you'd expect it to be completely different. And yeah. even like down to your styles, a lot of the styles are still the same. And I think that's mostly because of social media, because people can see what people are designing in Australia or see what they're designing in the United States and they want to mimic that. So I feel like our styles have formed together and it's just like under one umbrella now. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great concept, you know, to have a little bit of US design here in our country and likewise for you guys, like, you know, a little bit of Australian coastal design over, over in, in your homes. It's, it's, yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Donna, for coming on the episode today. I'm so excited. I want to end with where people could find you and follow you on social media. Yes. Well, they can find us online at donnagaila.com uh, at our existing website, soon to have a, a complete facelift. Mm -hmm. uh, or yes, we are on Instagram as well at Donna Design. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Donna, again, for coming on today. I'm very excited to get this one out. Thanks, Eric. It was lovely to chat with you. Thank you again. Thank <laughs> you.